Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello folks. Mark Stockley. Hi. And Matt Boddy. Hello. World. Oh. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, Matt tells us how he's not going to be just opening up any old image on his Android. Duck talks about the iOS apps that are sneakily recording users' screens. And Mark talks about, well, poo. There's a security lesson in there somewhere. What have you been up to this week, guys? So I met uh, a Russian sound technician, and I also met a Czech one too. <laughs> That's the joke, is it? <laughs> You've had a to, week. You've had a laugh. week to it's, prepare. It's and that's to... what you came up with. I think it's quite funny. Actually. It's UK Pun Day. I was always worried yeah. that, that I was going to talk about something really lame, but I'm not. It doesn't compare. Yeah. It's fine. Mark, what have you noticed? Oh, me, right. Um, I, I've been actually. I was listening to a very interesting podcast. Ooh. I was listening to stuff to blow your mind, and they did an episode on G- John C. Lilly, and I didn't know anything about John C. Lilly, but he was a, a pioneer psychonaut. So he was very big on uh, teaching dolphins to speak English and taking boatloads of LSD and isolation tanks and things like this. Very interesting, very interesting man, very interesting life. Did he learn to speak dolphin? I think he tried. He tried very hard. He tried very hard to meet them in the middle, tried very hard to teach them English, to understand what dolphins were trying to say, and tried very hard to fill them with LSD, which is quintessentially 60s scientist thing to do. Duck? I've been very dull in comparison. All I really managed to do this weekend was to, how can I put this, extend my stem by three centimetres. I went from a 90 millimetre bicycle stem to a 120 millimetre bicycle stem. It really is UK puns week. Is that that, that (laughs) so that you arrive a few fractions of a second sooner? No, I just thought actually it kind of makes it look a bit more slammed and street cool. But it turns out it does make me lean forward a bit more actually more comfortable riding position for me. Not knowing how to do this scientifically, I just randomly change things and see whether they make it better or worse. And if they make it worse, then if I like the look, I leave it and suffer. Um, otherwise, I go, hey, I discovered something. That sounds very scientific. As interesting <laughs> as that is, that's nowhere, near as inter- that's nowhere near as interesting as what Anna has been up to. I've been, I went to the Body Worlds exhibition in London, which was uh, just a lot of dead bodies with no skin. <laughs> just like a pile of bodies. <laughs> pile of just bodies. flies everywhere. No, it was... It was uh, um, yeah, it was interesting. My mum wanted to go, so I went with her. Oh, yeah, blame your mum. Yeah. <laughs> and classy. She listens to this. She yeah. gave me some f- podcast feedback as well on the way. No. Yeah. I bet with that you... Hi, mum. If you had ever thought of taking up smoking, you probably aren't going yeah, to Yeah, there were some smokers' lungs. A lot blacker than non-smokers, surprisingly. Um, there were there was there was all, there was heart bypass surgery. It was it was interesting. Back to cybersecurity chat. Towards the tail end of last week, we heard about a trio of bugs affecting Android. This was about booby-trapped image files, right, Matt? Yeah, that's right. So there were three different exploits that were disclosed: CVE 2019-1986 or 1986, and then there was. CVE 2019 1987 and 1988. And the bugs uh, were inherited basically because there's an open source um, image handling program, Skia, which is used by um, Google Chrome, Chrome OS, and Android uh, to handle images on your phone. And essentially, what happened is when, um, when your Android device uh, version 7, 8, or 9 was opening some sort of PNG image, 
that that PNG, there's a, there's a potential for that PNG to basically open other parts of memory address space that it wasn't supposed to be able to access, um, which could uh, force some sort of remote code execution. So so in sort of human terms, what that means is that if you open up an image on your phone that that, that is given to you by a bad guy, they could have full access to your mobile phone. And that's what a remote code ex- execution is. So this, this is just Google telling us they've fixed something yeah. that would have been bad if somebody had found it. My understanding is the Skia library, which is used by loads of other projects as well, it's quite a nice image processing library, BSD license, if you want an open source image processing library, low memory footprint. They fixed this, and of course Google then imported those fixes into Android. They were announced as critical problems in the February update, wasn't it? Yeah. And that meant that it suddenly got attention. So I'm glad you mentioned that you know, this is something that Google's reporting this. So it's not like, oh, there are these files already floating around in the wild that have been used on booby trap websites to trick people. Unfortunately, I did see at least one story in the mainstream media, kind of with a headline that sort of implied, this is the image file that could be the end of the world. My understanding is it's exactly the other way around, that the good guys got to this one first. So there is a sense of stand down from blue alert. So are all versions of Android affected? Just Android 7, 8, and 9. As far as we know. So they've they've patched it, but of course you're only protected if you have the patch. Indeed. So does this... Are the affected versions of Android going to get the patch? Yes, they are. But when they're going to get the patch, I think is what you're getting at here. When they're going to get the patch is kind of up in the air simply because of the ecosystem of Android. So I, I thought Android... I thought Google were trying to deal with this mess. That's why I asked the question, because I feel like Android stands apart from other projects and it's the only one where I kind of look at it like a mainstream project and you go, is there, is there a chance that people actually won't get the updates at all? You'll see people coming online going, oh, I've got an XYZ phone and I went to my settings and I went to look at the version and it says I'm still on the January update, I haven't got the February one yet. So you, you might get it, it might be delayed, it might be delayed a bit, it might be delayed a lot. So it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was where it was kind of everyone had their own update. It is frustrating, the ecosystem of an Android update. The Android ecosystem. It's like somebody looked at the Linux e- ecosystem and went, yeah, not confusing enough. Yeah, yeah. Not, not patchy <laughs> enough. Let's, Let's have some layers yeah. to that. <laughs> at least Google do these monthly releases where they tell you what you're supposed to be getting and what's, what will be in there if you get an update with that brand on it which is better than the past, where they just say, oh, we've patched this in the Android open source project, so anybody who builds directly out of that tree will get these fixes. They're, they're, they're unquestionably trying to do the right thing, but it's a bit like when Facebook come out and, and tried to say, look, it's really hard trying to manage this many users. You know, Do you, do you realise how difficult it is trying to do all the things that people want, all the censorship that people want, all the filtering that people want, when you've got a billion and a half users, to which my response is, cry me a river. You know, you, this is the situation that you created. So Google's doing a good job of fixing the situation that it foisted upon all the Android users. Well done. Bravo. Godspeed. Yeah. yeah. And so the advice here is just get the updates if you can. Get or the updates iPhone. if you can. Yeah. Or an iPhone. Get an iPhone if you can. Don't and get you'd an be iPhone. Cooler. You'd be cooler. <laughs> You're not cooler with an iPhone. You've got way more cameras on most Android phones than on iPhones. And also you're saving yourself a fortune. Yes, because, you know, the top-end Android phones are significantly less more expensive than top-end iPhones than they used to be. That is a good way of putting it. <laughs> but you're not yeah. accepting it right now. <laughs> True. From Android to iOS, 
There was a bit of a storm last week over certain iOS apps that were tracking users' screens and then sending what amounts to a running series of screen captures back to their servers, even back to third-party analytics firms in some cases. Duck, can you talk us through the story? Yes, my understanding that this technology, for want of a better word, is known as a session replay service. You've written an app, or more likely you've gone to some trendy app-making company to make your cool app for whatever service you have, and people start using your app, and you think, golly, I don't really have any insight into how they're using it. I don't know how to improve the app. I know I'll go to some analytics company, and I'll link their programming library into my app, and every now and then, while the app's running, they'll siphon off information and store it on their servers, and I can kind of analyze it later. And it turns out that at least, well, that the company that was outed in this particular report, they're by no means the only app analytics company, is called Glassbox Digital. One of the ways that they actually keep track of how users are using your app is not just to have logging that says they're at page three, they're at page four, they click button five. They take an easier approach. They just take a screenshot every now and then whenever they feel like it. And hopefully you've told them where all the risky data is, like name, address, and whatever, and they blank that out by dropping black pixels over it, but I hope they don't miss, and then they upload the files. And the the objection here is not so much the analytics, it's the fact that, A, they're grabbing whole screenshots, which could include sensitive information that could not get redacted properly, that's A, and B, no mention that this is happening in the terms and conditions or in the privacy statement. And that's created a bit of a furore. And Apple apparently have now decided it's not really on. And they said, we have notified the developers that were outed in this particular research that they are in violation of our strict privacy terms and guidelines. Which makes me think, if it's that strict, maybe they could have checked before they approved the app in the App Store rather than waiting until some researcher went looking and found out. So what sort of apps use these kind of services? One of the ones mentioned here just happened, not meaning to blame this particular company any more than any other, but the example in the article we wrote on Naked Security is Air Canada. I think that the particular issue with the travel apps is that generally when you're booking travel, you're actually giving away much more personal information than usual. And it's not just your credit card number to pay for the flight. Often you have to put in your passport number and you've got the exact ticket details and which flights you're taking when you'll be out of the country and all that stuff. So there's an awful lot of things that could leak. And it raises questions about storage as well. I mean, we don't know what's going on at the back end of this system, but we do know that if you were preparing a system to deal with private information, you would prepare it in a different way than if you were creating a system just to deal with a bucket of images. So if the redactions haven't occurred properly and you inadvertently have private data, it's unreasonable to think that that data may be stored in a way that's not uh, optimal for storing private information. I agree. I think it's it seems to me rather weird that you've already got my data. Why do they need a second copy of it? Why, why do they take a screenshot of the whole screen with all the risks that entails? And you said there was no mention of anything in the privacy policies. Do you think that that makes it okay if it, if yeah. it is just in the privacy policy? Because my problem with this is there's something that we see over and again with... I mean, we've seen it so many times now with things that Facebook are doing, with things involving analytics... Users just don't understand what power app developers have or website developers have to record information about them. Yeah. So normally this crops up on websites and that's an area that I understand a little better. But for example, when you go and visit a web page, uh, that web page 
can monitor everything you do on that web page. It can't look at the other web pages you're using, but it can capture, if the people who develop the website want to, they can capture where your mouse position is every fraction of a second if they want to. I mean, I went to demos probably 15 years ago where people were demoing uh, methods for essentially creating a video capture of somebody using a website just by tracking where the mouse cursor that was. That used to be really cool, didn't it? You could get a heat map that showed, you know, oh, people, when you put the button in the top right corner, people tend to miss it a lot, so you should have it. But in the, the... This, was, this is a full replay. So you can generate oh. heat maps from that sort of data, but actually... Because you can capture, you know, you can capture the mouse position more frequently than yeah. twenty-five times a right. second. You can create a completely seamless uh, movie, if you like, yeah. of how somebody moves to the website, and you can capture everything that they type as they type it. And so, this is my problem with the privacy policy. So, let's say you go to a form and you start typing into the form, and then halfway through typing all the information, you just you change your mind. And yeah, you I don't want to do delete it. I'm out. I'm not going to hit the submit button. Yes, the app or the website that you're on could already have captured that data. And I think the user's perception of how that works is that if I click the submit button, then I'm sharing it. And if I don't click the submit button, I'm not sharing it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of beholden upon you if you're developing apps or websites like that to let people know because it's not okay that it's just in the privacy policy. I agree. Because it's yeah. so far away from what people expect. So I agree. The privacy policy, it's a start, but it wouldn't excuse this. I think... We really do need to get to a world which is where less is more. Is there any way for a user to tell that this is happening to their phone? Well, not really. Short of doing what this researcher did and running all their web traffic through some kind of man-in-the-middle proxy that captures the traffic, tries to analyse it and guesses whether or not you've revealed this, that or the other. It can reveal the more egregious faults but what if the app doesn't work in a way that happens to be compatible with the proxy? It yeah. uses some other way of uploading. You can never be sure, short of actually looking at the source code of the app yourself. Yeah. And even Apple doesn't get to see that. They just get to see the compiled app and decide, yeah, it seems to be all right. There are unfortunately in apps so many moving parts that it's very difficult for you to decide which is good or bad. Yeah, I think that raises a very interesting point. I mean, my experience of dealing with web analytics uh, for a number of companies is that the more that you customize the web analytics, the more chance there is that it's going to become out of step with your website, that you're going to get something wrong. And invariably, increased customization means more problems. The analytics tool will try to redact things where it can. It'll you know use its own smarts to try and figure out what needs to be redacted. But there's an element of customization required whereby you've got to say, okay, this field is... a sensitive type of field that maybe isn't on your standard list but people won't want to share it so this needs to be redacted and often what happens with analytics is that it's a one-time deal that somebody sets it up and then it's just that's just the way the analytics works from now on and and websites tend to be under continuous development and apps receive updates and you know unless you have a process that ties that analytics back into your development process and so you keep checking okay, we've made a change to the app. Have we made sure the analytics is still covering it? That, in my experience, is quite unusual. But unless you have that process, then over time, you risk having a divergence. So even if you think you've set your analytics up correctly in the beginning, the longer you, the longer it goes unattended, the more chance that it's out of step mm. and that you're going to have these sorts of 
PII problems. So um, my, my preference for when when putting in PI to do things like book tickets, or I have to give more information than I normally would, my preference is not to use the app, just to use my browser. I feel a little bit more in control of the browser. Yeah, and it's, but it's worth bearing in mind, it's not just the users. If you're capturing data in the wrong way, you know, we live in the a world of GDPR now. Yes. And so it's not just users that need to be aware, it's companies as well. You know, you, you, you don't want to be storing private data in great big mm. image buckets. This is just a question of you're collecting stuff en masse in the hope that a tiny amount of that data will tell you a story that you need to know. And what could possibly go right? I think I answered my own question there. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, USB sticks wind up in the weirdest of places, don't they, Mark? They do. Last week, uh, New Zealand's National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research was looking for the owner of a USB stick. So they found this USB stick and they were trying to find the owner by playing a clip from one of the videos. They were using it as bait on Twitter. And the clip showed uh, this, the beautiful uh, mother seal and her, is it a cub? I guess it's a, a mother seal and her baby swimming in some still water. Uh, and they were being filmed by the owner. Uh, the owner was sat on a kayak. And they obviously recorded the video on a USB stick. But what made the whole thing really stand out, it wasn't the video in the tweet. It was the text in the tweet, which said, NIWA is searching for the owner of a USB stick found in the poo of a leopard seal. It was in a poo, but in it was still poo. functioning. Well, the technical term is scat. So the tweet went viral, articles were written, jokes were cracked, poetry was composed. But this thing lasted for ages, didn't it? It wasn't just that they they found it the next day or something. Uh, Well, yeah, it did. They run a network of volunteer scat collectors, who knew? Uh, And they gather seal poo for analysis. So uh, this one was gathered in November 2017. Uh, Neewa was sent a sample from a beach in Invercargill. uh, And the sample was duly frozen for analysis. It sat in the freezer for over a year... (laughs) So this hasn't just passed through a seal. Wow. This has passed through a, a year's worth of freezing. Hardy USB stick. Um, and then it was defrosted for analysis, which basically means poking it with a stick, at which point it became obvious to the people doing the analysis that there was a big plastic USB stick in this bread roll-sized piece of seal poo. Also, who knew that you measure the size of poo in... Bread rolls. ...quantities of bread? Obviously, the story is amusing, a little bit disturbing... It's a bit risky to plug in a USB stick you found in poo, isn't it? Actually, that's a good point. We've, uh, we've done a number of articles. They did clean it first, let's be honest. Yes, but who Come knows on. where it's... Well, okay, I was going to say who knows where it's been. No, I think we, we know something. That's the problem. <laughs> we know exactly where it's been, but not before it went into the seal. But this is really your wheelhouse, isn't it, Duck? So this is... You know... <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rob. No. Oh, USB. Strange USB stick. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. we've seen... Coming. We've studied that up to the point they enter the seal, but not afterwards. <laughs> You've done research before with uh, USB sti- sticks left on public transport. You can't yes. be sure they were. Yeah, it was about eight years ago. We went to the lost property auction that New South Wales Trains does every year. Uh, they've changed their policy on USB sticks now, and they they were auctioning off bags, literally bags, bag after bag of USB sticks for a few dollars a go. And we ended up with fifty two of them. Two didn't work. One had obviously been dropped in Sydney Harbour and had gone rusty and didn't work, which I was otherwise surprised that the seal one did. And we found that two thirds of them contained malware of some sort that could have affected the person who plugged it in. And on not one of those keys, even the ones that appeared to include sensitive include sensitive information, had anybody bothered to encrypt anything. And yet they had ended up lawfully 
in our possession because we bought them off the railway company. If you lose a USB stick and it's not encrypted, you could get it, somebody could get it back a year later from a lost property auction or more than a year later when they have sworn that it would be dead because they dropped it in the sea and surely they'll never see it again. Or seal it. Absolutely. You know, proof that data lives for a long time. So very neatly, you have, uh, you've brought me to my little advice section. <laughs> so as amusing as the story is, at Naked Security, we're always looking for teachable moments. So uh, advice for humans or from the human point of view, uh, physical security is important. And trying to predict where the dangers to your data are going to come from can be very difficult indeed. So my advice is focus on what you're going to allow rather than what you're going to deny. Because the person that finds the USB stick, there's no guarantee that their lips will be... Well, I was thinking, the person, the person that lost, I'll guarantee you, the person that lost Sealed. the USB stick didn't have eaten by seal in their threat model. No, no, that's so true. So rather than in trying fact, to predict, will my USB be eaten by seals, they should be thinking about how will I prevent my USB from losing, leaving my possession. Which is why we have that famous T-shirt that I often wear on the Facebook Live saying, dance like no one's watching, encrypt like everyone is. Because you just never know. And I like your advice. Instead of trying to predict the 7,864 different ways that a USB key might be lost and you'll miss one, assume that it might be lost and get to a position where you don't have to worry about what the finder can or can't do with it. And the other thing the SEAL can teach us is if you're disposing of data, you have to destroy it. Don't think that throwing that USB stick, sticking it in a freezer or passing it through a SEAL is necessarily going to be enough. You're going to have to do more. You're going to have to actually destroy it. And then finally, from the <laughs> SEAL's point of view, this SEAL was clearly compromised by a failure of input validation. Oh. So remember, folks, check your inputs. And don't litter, because there's a bigger issue here, isn't there? The fact that the SEAL ate the plastic in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, not cool. Brian on, uh, made a comment on Naked Security on the article and said, am I the only one curious of the brand of USB stick? If it can navigate a SEAL's digestive tract and survive a year in the freezer after presumably being soaked, wouldn't that be a great marketing testament to its longevity? That would definitely get my yes, seal Brian. of approval. Oh. <laughs> God. I got a laugh out of Stockley. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, Duck got a laugh out of Stockley. So is this a good thing? Because I agree with Brian, like my initial reaction was, well, I'm going to go and get me some of those USB yeah. sticks. Yeah. And then I very got to the point where I think, I don't actually want my USB sticks to, to be, be that, that good. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good like some biodegradability, some sort of breaking down in the environment would probably be good. Yeah. I feel like there's some seal lyrics that I can fit in, you oh, know. Yeah. Do you want to sing us yes. out at the end? <laughs> no, Kiss right. from a rose. Kiss from a rose. <laughs> <laughs> sure no I think um, you don't want that okay. you really don't want that <laughs> in dolphin in do- oh <laughs> and on that note that's about all from us this week Duck where can we find you on social media at DuckBlog on Twitter Mark at Internet of Hens uh, Matt Infosec Body Twitter Instagram I'm at Internet of Hens on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> also at Anna Brady and we are of course at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram you can also find us on Facebook by searching Naked Security please rate and review our podcast it helps boost us in the charts and allows other people to find us you can tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions for the podcast or you can email us at tips at and until next time stay, stay secure, secure.